Hello there! This show contains material which a truly free society would neither fear nor suppress. The language and concepts contained herein will not cause eternal torment in the place where the guy with the horns and pointed stick conducts his business. Yo, yo, yo. We doing this again? What would happen if Scooby-Doo went blue? Oh, come on already. What would happen if John Tallarico went blue? That's even scarier. Explosions. There'd be implosions and black holes. Red matter. All kinds of, uh, what do they call those? Singularities. It would just be crazy. I'd have a conversation with myself. So, uh, you seen any Yankees games lately? Yes, I have. Speaking of pedophilia, <laughs> okay. I saw you probably saw this on Boing Boing too last week. I, I actually sh- haven't looked at it in months. I looked at it for the first time today. I, w- I wanted to uh, I wanted to bring it up because it was a very interesting case. I guess some guy is uh, he's actually trying to defend himself because he's got a collection of these Japanese manga or manga. I don't even. Know how I, I did see that today. Did you see that one? Yeah, you mean last twink- week? No, I saw it today. You mean last week? It's the Twinkie defense. You mean last week? Well, no. I was scrolling through the archives, and I saw it today. It was today very... in quotation marks, but no, last I, week. Well, it's an old article. I, Is I was it an reading, old article? Yeah, I was reading it today. Oh, and oh, I, oh I, I see. I, I was going through the archives, and I found it. Okay. So this guy's got this uh, – he, he collects all sorts of Japanese comic books or, or graphic novels or By whatever. the way, I, I saw a Japanese film uh, recently at Munson, and they kept calling magazines manga. And I was like, what, what the fuck? Couldn't they translate that right? What's up with that? Is that what they call magazines, manga? I, no, I think that's that's the Is illustrated it ki- graphic, like novel. graphic novel. Graphic yeah. novel. Okay. All right. Um, no, but they were referring to regular magazines as manga. They were, really? Yeah. I don't, I, know. I don't know. I have no idea. It was just a bad trans. There were some really hokey translations in the film, so maybe they just, you know, didn't get it. But. The baseball. <laughs> been very, very good to me. So this guy's got this huge collection, and some of them have, say something else. have some sex scenes with, you know, childlike characters, whatever. I mean, it's cartoons, basically, you know? So he's basically getting charged, and he's got to defend himself in court for charges of child pornography. I mean, this guy's going to go on a sex offender list for having drawn pictures, cartoons. I'm, I'm stressing this. Cartoons of kids Having sex. Okay. I'm, again, I'm a parent. I'm offended by yeah, the whole. Apparently what? I'm a parent. Apparently what? Offended oh. by, uh, by child pornography, real child pornography, because, you know, children are involved. And the reason why I'm is offended. Is that cultural, by, do you think? Or is it, or is it really offensive? Uh, I, I can't bring myself out of the culture. I can't put myself out of it to even make a comment on that. I just know that I'm offended by it because I can't think of my children being put in that situation. And and on top of that, you know, child pornography forces children to be in that situation. So, you know, it's sort of exploiting the children. They, don't, they can't really make these decisions on their own. But it's a cartoon. Who are we defending? You know, it, we're defending the ink from being shaped like a child having sex? <laughs> I don't get it. it. To me, I think that that's... It's a little bit uh, overreaching. Well, there was... A couple of years ago, there was... Um a man who had written diaries. He was a, a I, he may have been a convicted pedophile. I'm not sure, but in his diaries, he had written about performing sex acts with children, and based on even writing it, he was jailed. And to yeah. me, that's wrong too. I know he's a pedophile, but writing about something in your diary is not the same as doing it. In fact, it's probably good that he's writing about it because he's not doing it in real life. I mean, this is bordering on like thought crime. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, if, what was that Spielberg film with Tom Cruise? You know. I mean, pre-crime. Yeah, pre- uh, well, that, it's that not exactly the, the like minority the report. Minority report. I well, mean, I'm thinking thought crime, yeah. you know, in like 1984 type of stuff where people are are criminalized and jailed for thinking about doing something, not even doing something. I just got one thing to say to you. Raymond, candy color clown. Uh, we're not doing it. We're not going that way. We're not going down that path. 
You know, I uh, I recently started getting on my HD channels, I was telling John this, American Movie Classics and IFC, Independent Film Channel, and a couple, maybe it was last weekend, late Saturday night, they showed Blue Velvet. And John is, is as am I. I love the film. Huge Blue Velvet fans. And I haven't watched it, though, in 15 years, and I just had forgotten how great it That's was. That's why I said I'm not going down that path. It's like a rabbit hole. Once you start going <laughs> down know, that path, it's, it's, it just it's never ends. Alice shows up, and it's it's crazy. You put your disease in me, right? No, I didn't even come close. Do you like like that Jeffrey, Jeffrey All right. Beaumont. You see what's happening here? <laughs> yep, that's an ear. All right. Let it see your. No, that's a human ear. All right, that's what he said. No, wait a minute though. I want to talk about something else. Speaking of films, I I got a movie in recently, and it was called uh, Kevin. An evening with Kevin Smith. And Kevin Smith, for those of you who aren't aware, does he do the Rotten Tomatoes blog? Is that his too? He does some film I, review stuff. I, I don't know. But he he's sort of famous for doing Clerks, and you know he plays he's an indie film director, Silent Bob. He's famous for being Silent Bob, and it's a kind of a cultish, you know, much like Blue Velvet actually. But Blue Velvet was mm-hmm. a much better film. But he did a, a speaking tour at colleges and universities, and what they did was they edited together like the Q and As with the crowd, you know, people asking fairly interesting questions. And in the beginning, I thought it was kind of mundane, but then he got into a bit where he was, you know, like in 1998 or 1997, like 10 years ago or something, he was asked to do a treatment for a new Superman film, and he went to a million. Meetings. I heard about that. Did you I, hear? About I didn't. It? I didn't hear what he's saying, but I, I think I heard about that. Well, this is because he's a big comic book fan. Yeah, he's a huge comic book fan. Not, and not child pornography comic. No, book fan. not at all. And and he went to various meetings, and each time there'd be like a higher up guy from whatever studio it was. You know, they'd go to the next level, and they finally said, "Okay, we want you to do a treatment, like an outline, just four or five pages." But he didn't know how to do that. That's not his writing style. So he did like a sixty-seven page outline, and they kind of liked it. And they said, "But." First, you got to meet with the producer, and I think it's John Peters was the producer. He he was famous for being, uh, what's her name, um, Yentl, Streisand. Yeah, he was famous originally for being Streisand's hairstylist, but then she let him get involved in production and some of her films, and now he's like a big producer. It's a weird turn. So he well, it happens all the time. Actually, I'm convinced most people could do most jobs, you know, and. Um, uh, everything we've been told is a lie. I don't really think you need an MBA to be a CEO. But anyway, no. uh, based on how stupid some of these guys have been lately in particular. But so he, he, we were like, okay, we like your treatment, but you got you to gotta present it to John Peters. And so he goes to John Peters' house, and it's this very you know Batman-like house, you know, this huge <laughs> Wayne Manor kind of thing. And he, he won't read the outline. He wants you to read it to him. And he sits there with the hands up, you know, like the sort of well, – how would you describe, you know, how directors do this? Framing. Yeah, they, they do the frame with the thumb and the forefingers up so you can kind of see like the image of what you'll see. And he sits – he lies on like a couch that Sigmund Freud would have you lying on, like a chaise lounge or something. Does he have slave girls fanning he, him? He and may have grapes? with grapes and – and he stares up through the the frame. frame Actually, he's of got his a, hands. he's got a slave girl with a chain around her neck, That's and he's right. on his barge. You know what? Tonight is Star Wars night at the Tramontane Cafe, and they oh. are doing costumes. And there was going to be a life size Jabba the Hut there. I heard. Oh, really? It might have been more fun to go there. Jabba and do the some, Chamberlain, yeah, to do some uh, interviews. But um, so you know, this producer is this quirky guy, John Peters. You know, and he reads him the treatment, and he go. Well, I don't know. I think before he. He. This might have been before they even let him do the treatment. First, we want John Peters to meet you, and then if oh, he's good with you, we'll let you do the treatment. So John Peters goes, well, look, I got a couple of things, three things. All right, Superman, no suit. We can't have him in the silly suit. <laughs> rule number one, Superman can't be in the suit. What do you think rule number two was? What is Superman famous for? Can't fly. Can't fly, exactly. Okay, we can't have the silly suit. We can't have Superman flying. Okay, rule number three... I want there to be a giant radioactive spider in this script. <laughs> it's becoming it doesn't have Spider to be, Man. It doesn't have to be radioactive, but there has to be a giant spider. Jeez. So he did the treatment, and I don't, you know, Kevin Smith took like 40 minutes to tell the story, and it was thoroughly entertaining. It was worth every minute. I, I'm not doing it justice. But he wrote the treatment, and he came back, and he read it to the guy. And they were like, well, you know, Captain goes back or Superman goes back to the Fortress of Solitude to be alone. And the guy goes, well, can't there be like an army there waiting for him? And he goes, well, it's the Fortress of Solitude. He goes there to be alone. And, you know, the, this this producer guy was like, you know, fighting him at every turn. And, you know, he goes, well, you know, and, and, and on Krypton, he was known as 
what's Krypton? You know, and hello, the, the producer didn't even know Krypton. And so anyway, suffice it to say, ultimately the script was given to Burton. And Burton goes, nah, I got my own people. We're going to have our own people do a treatment for this. <laughs> and that's how uh, Kevin Smith ended up not liking um, we're going to do – he Tim was making Burton. fun of Tiburton. He goes, we're going to do Superman, but we're going to like have scissors for his hands. He was totally, <laughs> totally making fun of Tim Burton, which I'm all about, you know, because he was making fun of his goth look yeah. and the people he hangs out with and, like, his, his publicist has this really weird name. And I mean, it was just absurd. But here's the, – the best part of the story was he didn't realize just how serious the producer, uh, John Peters, was about having the spider in the story. He goes, I didn't even think about the spider till a year or two later when I – I went to see the movie Wild Wild West that John Peters directed. Oh, or really? And there was that giant mechanical spider. Mechanical, um, it was uh, like a steampunk, steampunk spider. Yeah. giant spider that he controlled. So wow. the story actually had sort of a, a resolution that was very entertaining, and it was it was it was he really good. That. That's pretty yeah, interesting. I mean, so apparently he has a thing for spiders, giant spiders, giant radio. Reminds me of that Saturday Night Live skit with Ross Perot. The Republicans put a giant radioactive spider in my cellar. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, now, now I'm I got part one of the disc in, and I cannot wait for part two because they literally stopped it in mid story. It's like cliffhanger, you know. I cannot even wait to hear the rest of the story. And I'm not a huge Kevin Smith fan. I think his films are, you know, I, I don't think Drek. he's yeah. I think they're kind of Drek like, and I don't think his his dialogue writing is that. So everybody says he writes great dialogue, but Tarantino writes great dialogue. Yeah. This guy is, you know, I mean. But after watching this, I have a newfound respect for him because his his stories are great. Well, I I think that in film circles, I've always heard that he's like a, a film historian, a film buff. He is. Huge he's a film huge film fan. Buff. Yeah, absolutely. So he's one of those guys who you can respect because he knows so much about film. It's just the stuff that he produces is kind of eh. I, I am interested in seeing Dogma, though. I heard some interesting things that. about that. You know, that, and that had some of its moments, and too. And it had a poop monster in it or something. He kept referring to it as like a poop monster or something. I don't remember that part, but I, I, do re- I do remember, you know, it's funny because he gets big people in it. He had like Matt Damon yeah, and well, Ben Affleck in there. Yeah, well, great friends with Matt Damon, actually. He had Matt Damon and Ben Affleck in there playing the Archange- Archangels, Gabriel and, and Michael. Yeah. And he also had George Carlin in there. Too, yeah, he so. has some influence, which well, is interesting. Obviously before he died. Well, right. Yeah, George Carlin. We should do a show about him. <laughs> How, you know ahead, what? how ahead of the curve was he on some of his humor? That's one of the things that, you know, I I can say that I'm I'm glad that it happened to me, that I got to see George Carlin perform live yeah, before I he died. Yeah, I never did. It was never pretty did. funny. Was it stuff. in Utica? It was right here in Oneida oh. at the Turning Stone. Oh, And oh, I was cool. there basically front row by the stage as close as we were when we went to go see uh, uh, Asia. He basically invented Weekend Update, you know. Uh, that sort of concept of the news, you know, doing it. His observational and, language yeah, humor was yeah. killer. And it's too bad Dennis Miller had to go downhill because he sort of was taking over in that sort of referential, observational vein. And one of the yeah, he's one, he he was like that. He was one of those comics where after like three sentences, you're always three sentences behind, and you're saying, "Oh yeah, I get what he said," and it's funny stuff. Uh, comics, I never liked that word. You didn't because comics say. Funny things and comedians say things funny. Here, you get that? Well, what do you think you are, Seinfeld? <laughs> I don't know. You ever wonder why people yeah, park on the driveway, the and drive in the parkway? Round? What's up with that? Anyway, we got a tune. Yeah, we do. All right, let's check it out. I will kindle my fire in the morning in the presence of the.
just have one thing to say. Was that? Freedom! <laughs> it's not often you hear the bagpipe. Oh, was that Yulian U- pipes or was that a bagpipe? I don't know. Because there's sort of an Irish instrument called Yulian pipes, which sounds sort of like that. You might be right. I didn't hear the drone so much. Yeah, exactly. There wasn't that drone note in the background. Yeah. I don't know, but it was it was very... Maybe uh, they could have muted the drones. It was very William Wallace. <laughs> yeah, this giant claymore flying through the sky. <laughs> You know, I think I'm going to go home and paint my face blue on they, one they, side. It looked like the UCLA, what was it? The, the Trojans? The Trojans. Isn't their colors like blue like that? I always kept wondering why he was face painted like for a college football game or something. I don't know. He was looking for a wooden horse to hide himself in. He might have been. It's my island. Anyways. I saw that not too long ago, actually. It's, Freedom? It's, yeah. It's a classic film. Academy Award winning film in 1995, if I recall correctly. Yep. I was rooting for Apollo 13 that year. Was it the same year? Yes, it was. was. Apollo 13 was up for Best Picture. Braveheart. I don't remember the other three, but Braveheart won. It's a good year for films. Uh, Actually, I thought it was an A year for films. I mean, I I don't think there was any really super, super. Apollo 13 was great. Well, it was a great film, but I mean, and Braveheart was a little preachy, but it it wasn't, you know, those, if if those were all. I wasn't as behind Braveheart as so many other people were. No, I wasn't either. I was rooting for Apollo 13, but I mean, it wasn't a film where like we had one of, like Forrest Gump, one of these absolute standout, oh my God, how can anything but this win? It was sort of, eh, I thought. You know, Apollo 13 was strong, but it's not, there's, I. I thought Apollo 13 was phenomenal. But we knew the story. Yeah, but that was what was phenomenal about it. You knew the story. You knew how it ended, but it kept you on the edge well, of Well, no, seat. he made a great film, despite the fact that we did know the outcome. Yeah, that would have been great is if he had, like, the the uh, the Apollo uh, capsule or the uh, the uh, the lem going into a black hole and to meet Spock <laughs> in time, like, hey. What right. was Ron Howard thinking? He should what have done that. What they needed on that spacecraft, they, they forgot how to, to manage the, the whole CO2 scrubber thing. But if they just had like a tiny little drop of that red matter, it would have been perfect. Done. Problem solved. They could have created a, a, a red hole, not a black hole. That's right. You know, gone, I, I, gone into the future and changed the past. Speaking of Ron Howard films, I saw Frost Nixon and a lot of the was actors. Was that Ron Howard? Yeah, he did that. A lot oh. of the actors who were in Apollo 13 reappeared mysteriously as minor players in, uh, you know, they're, they're part of his his. Did his freaky-looking brother show up? Yeah, in oh, his freaky-looking brother was definitely in the film. Oh. Yeah. He played uh, the TV producer who filmed the interview segments with Nixon <laughs> and Frost. Yeah, he played, like, the producer of the segments. The and he was very so good. Bizarre. And he was great in Apollo 13, he was. too, as Saul Liebergott or whatever the guy's name was. Cy Liebergott. Yeah. Quirky engineers at the consoles. Well, and he is quirky. And he, speaking of Star Trek, like we did last week, he was in one of the original Star Trek episodes. <laughs> Tranya! <laughs> He he's a freaky looking guy. I'm sorry. Well, he is, but he's actually pretty talented. He's he's oh, I'm great. Sure. Did you see the MTV Music Awards like ten years ago when they gave the Lifetime Achievement Award to Clint, and no. then they would do these like interviews with really famous actors and actresses talking about Clint. And <clears throat> those They're, not like in the Clint know Eastwood. would think they were talking about Clint Eastwood, but they gave the Lifetime Achievement Award to Clint Howard, and Ron Howard was in the audience. And it was really cool because he has had an amazing career. Yeah, he's done a ton of stuff. He's done a ton of stuff. A lot of it's a little horror schlocky, but you know, Ron <laughs> Howard usually you know puts him in his films as well. But you know, Clint, Clint. Got to give his brother some props. Yeah, his dad and mom are usually in the films, too. Freaky-looking people. His mom had the best line in Apollo 13 when they went to visit her at the old folks' home to tell her that uh, the, the ship was damaged and all the girls were crying. And the, the mom goes, if they could get a washing machine to fly, my Jimmy could land it. <laughs> yeah, she, and that was like the best line in the freaky film. freaky-looking old woman. <laughs> ah, she's not that freaky. She's, his father is actually coat? famous, Rance, Rance Howard. He was in a lot of, you know, those 50s. Ranch dressing? He was in a lot of the 50s, the Rifleman. You know, he was like a Western guy. He, he was he the Marlboro did. Man. And Was he? No. Oh, but he did all those like 50s and 60s, you know, Bonanza type things. Rance Howard, he was a pretty famous yep. actor in Hollywood at the time. So there's, there's an interesting history in his family. So he's kind of like Clint Eastwood. He's very much like Clint Eastwood. But not so much. And that's coming out soon. Um the, the latest Eastwood. Gran Torino. Gran Torino will be out any day now. I'm, I'm interested in seeing that. But anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about. We're not here, we here to talk, to talk about. about. I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I had this idea. At the last salon, we talked about... Quaffs. 
We didn't talk about coif. <clears throat> different kind I, of salon. I did just get my hair cut. But we talked our, – our topic at the last salon was um, alternative economies like bartering, right? And Nuclear s- waste. Not good. And somebody at the salon brought up something called the Native American giveaway, which sounds like an awful racial slur to me. And that put me in the mind of something that John, a story that John had told me six months ago or something when we started redoing something the podcast that I heard. again. And t- tell that very briefly. It's about it, wine. It was something that I heard kind of like on the radio or in a podcast like or something. Like an NPR. I, yeah, something like that. I can't even remember what the source is. But I heard about, you know, a lot of people, a lot of wine people, they'll, they'll collect bottles of wine. They'll hoard their wine. And they'll say, you know, I'll open this on a special occasion. And then what happens is, is, you know, a special occasion comes around. They go, you know, it's not special enough to open it. And then these bottles of wine. And, and I have a story very much like that, which yeah. I think we told on the podcast. Yeah, and, and this, these bottles of wine just go unopened. So what they have is these groups, they get together, and they're just uncorking, essentially, uncorking uh, gatherings where they force themselves to just un, to open up a bottle of wine that's special, just to, un, to open it and uncork it and to pass around and everyone can share in, in the wine. It gives themselves, it forces themselves to have a reason to open the wine. And I thought it was a great idea. And John brought that story up on the very day that we opened an exceptional bottle of wine that I had been saving for a special occasion, which never happened. As those of you who are uh, regular listeners are one show, regular listener. Yeah, well, no, we have at least two. We got the. the well, no, we've got one regular listener and seven stalkers. <laughs> You see the rustling in the bushes? <laughs> Those aren't listeners. Well, in the little binoculars. they Or not the binoculars, little periscopes they raise above the bushes and they say something like, dive, dive. You know, it's okay if they've got the pedophile beard. Not okay if they've got the rapist glasses. <laughs> what about the, the uh, killer van? What about the flasher overcoat? <laughs> the public masturbator. <laughs> in a overcoat. van down by the river. Yeah. So I had been saving this bottle of wine, and it was truly an amazing bottle of wine. Maybe yeah, the very, very good. Maybe the best bottle we've ever had on the program. Yeah, it was mediocre. Yeah, it was all right. And it was a Catena Alta, a 2002 that I was saving for when I got married. Swill. Swill. It was saving for when I got married, and uh, it would be our first night in the apartment, and we'd have a little romantic dinner. Maybe not the first night. We would have been traveling up here, and we would have just went to bed. But the next night would have been a, a special occasion. So I had been saving it for another special occasion since the first special occasion didn't happen. But Your first murder. Exactly. And Vagrants are hard to find these days. Like John pointed out, you know, these people often save these things because no occasion is special enough, you know. And then I finally said, you know what? Shit, yes, pour the fucking wine, to quote from uh, Blue Velvet. I know I've been dropping a lot of F-bombs lately. I'm sorry. You're like carpet bombing. All right. <laughs> I'm carpet bombing. And I said, you know what? Screw this. We're just going to drink this on tonight's podcast. And it was it was wonderful. But on the last salon, the you know the the idea of alternative alternative economies and bartering came up, and somebody brought up something called the Native American giveaway, which sounds like an ethnic slur to me. But I'm going to read to you a little uh, web page I found that kind of discuss. Actually, it's the first one I found. I haven't looked for anything more. But apparently this blog post was written uh, around Christmas time, and it says, In the spirit of Christmas, I thought it would be nice to post something on the Native American custom of the giveaway, which is practiced at honor dances, weddings, and on many other occasions. It is a beautiful practice. For example, when an honor dance is held for a particular reason, that person or the family of that person is the gift giver, and the gifts are given to the guests. In most other societies and cultures, it is the exact opposite, in that the honored one is the person who expects the gifts from the guests. Right, you know. Turn stuff on its head. It's good. Yeah, and the second paragraph says, In the native culture, many times the most valuable gift is saved to give away, and storing or hoarding things is not understood. There is a high value placed on giving away and sharing what is ours. Once something is given away, all strings to that gift are broken. The gift is given with no expectations. Native people believe that what is given always comes back to the giver in one way or another in the form of good, and that's a karma. You know, there are many cultures that believe in, in that that sentiment. Native people also believe that bad intentions and actions results in bad returning to the doer. Again, that's karma. Um, I believe that it is one of the I believe that one of the greatest gifts is when you give your time to others in whatever form it is given. Although it is now the season for giving, it is good and healthy to be generous in spirit throughout the year. It is always the giver who receives the greatest blessing. And I have no idea where we're going to go with this topic, but I like bartering. 
I, I love the idea of giving and giving my time and giving something in back. And I'll give you an example right now of where I barter. I have a friend who has hens, chickens. And they're organic, free-range, you know, very high-quality eggs, something that you pay $4 a dozen for at a Whole Foods store or something like that, or even more than $4 a dozen, depending on the store. You know, Eggland and all this crap that's out now, these corporate uh, would-be organic farms. And, you know, she's a, a dear friend of mine, and I'm always helping fix her computers and, you know, helping her in, in, in other areas like electrical work and things like that. So basically I get a dozen eggs, organic free-range eggs, a week for free from her. That's about how many I go through a week, more now than ever. I, 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 as a vegetarian, I wasn't doing a lot of animal proteins. But because I'm unemployed and I'm trying to save money on foods, free eggs – Good. And yeah. she's completely comfortable with the arrangement. And, you know, some people look at me and go, she gives you all those eggs, but they don't see that I do some things in exchange for that. And I actually have a story that involves your dad, which I could tell later. Yeah. Well, and when I read the, the story, I wasn't thinking in terms of the economies of it. Um, but it, it's a kind of economy. Barter. Yeah. But but to me, it, it kind of reminded me about I was look, I was latching onto the part, you know, good intentions, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, Kindness as one person in the salon. Put yeah. It. And and one of the things that I always felt uncomfortable with, you know, at these these big family things, you know, we've got I've got a big Italian family and, <laughs> and we have a lot <laughs> so of these, like my big fat Greek wedding. <laughs> yeah. But they're not big and fat. But we had we had. No, they, she wasn't saying that. She was saying the I wedding was know, big. No, it's a funny movie. It is. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, cultural kind of things, you know, first first communion, all these different, you know, weddings. I, I did that. All that stuff. Didn't do that. Um, so first, first confirmation did that. Confirmation, all that. And there's only one confirmation, not the first one. That uh, was the one is the first. <laughs> and last. Exactly. So they should have called it the last confirmation. The only confirmation might have been more appropriate. Right. So a lot of these gatherings, and the tradition has always been, you know, Everyone comes, everyone gathers, and there's always a gift. And it, and it almost becomes like this, this weird kind of economy, this weird kind of expectation that— The expectations, but that's what that, that article said, People are right? going to be gathering all this money at these things, gathering all this money at these weddings. It's like you're not inviting the number of people to be at the wedding because they're your dear friends or family. You're inviting them because you're thinking, yeah, I can get this many people because I can get this much money. So I always tend to shy away from those things, and I, and like when I had my kids their their first communions, I didn't I didn't have a giant party because I feel uncomfortable having these people because I know that they're having to spend the day and they got to put the money together and it, it just feels wrong. So I would rather enjoy the day, enjoy the event for what it is, and only have maybe one or two people like my parents or something like that or my my uh, wife's parents, people that actually want to be there and. We're not concerned about people spending money or people gathering gifts up. It's about the event. It's not about the the gift. It's about spending the time and, and sharing time. Um, so yeah, I mean that I'm I'm all about that. I mean I'm 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 really not comfortable with the event having all this money tied to it. <laughs> you should have seen the weird expression John just did. Wow! I, gave, I flipped in the bird. He, well, no, not really. But he did this weird thing with his hands. No, it, I've a, never seen you do that. I didn't even know what it means. It's I don't know what it means. It's nonverbal language. But what does a, it mean? I couldn't a, interpret it. It's just like an explosion of frustration. Oh, I, okay. I've never seen you do that before. But you know, it's just like Christmas, right? I mean, it's this big commercial. It's a. It's like a commercial abortion. <laughs> you know, to use that word I used last week to describe Star Trek. I hate it. There's this. Group, which is why I don't like doing the big, huge family Christmas thing because it got out of hand. Where, but yeah, you you got a wee. You were happy to get your wee. Everyone was giving everyone gifts, and it was like, okay, we got to put aside like two thousand dollars just so that we can get all the kids all the gifts. Well, it's and, and then you're giving you're giving your your brothers or your whatever kids gifts, and your neighbors' kids get whoever you're giving gifts to. My theory has always been: let's not give gifts and call it even because I get two grand in gifts and I give yep. two grand in gifts. So yep. let's just have wonderful events where we're together, we break bread and. I don't mean that in a, in a necessarily religious way. We share food. We break bread together and we have- We do this uh, in ex- memory of him. <laughs> I don't know what that means. In memory of who? What, who are we talking about? That's the mass. That's We do this in memory of me. Never mind. But I, for me, it's about having an experience with other people. You know, I'm not into the religious aspect of right. it. And, and for me, it's about getting together with good friends 
having good food, good wine, and, and or maybe it, it shouldn't even be about that. I mean, I'm exploring what this should be about. Maybe it should be about, I know this is a little cliched, but maybe it should be about, you know, working at the homeless shelter that, that day and preparing food for people who don't have food normally. Because, you know, you and I eat pretty well. I'm unemployed, but I'm still eating pretty well, you know. I'm eating organic whole foods that sustain me and make me healthy. And a lot of people don't have that. And, you know, we have things that other people don't have. But another area I wanted to explore in this was the idea that, and you know, in pottery class, I keep hearing the instructor say, don't get attached to clay. And what she means by that is if you make a pot and it collapses, it's not the end of the world, make another one, you know. Don't yep. get attached to clay. But she extends that to giving your pieces away. Give it away. Don't be that attached to it. And you know what? I have a few pieces, and maybe I'm not as good a person as I should be or as I want to be in in the spirit of what we're talking about here in the Native American giveaway, but I, I have a couple of pottery pieces that I wouldn't want to part with. I mean, I love them. You know, They're my favorite Break pots. Em. But, you know, I should. I should because if I'm the person I want to be, I want to be one with this Native American giveaway idea. And I want to get to a place where I can give it away and feel good about it. But I'm not sure I'm there yet. like the yet, Red Hot Chili you know? Peppers, man. They say, give it away, give it away, give it away, <laughs> give man. It. You know, what, what's well, weird about that is they say that in black and white where they're wearing gold body paint. That's the, <laughs> that's the weirdest part about that. In reverse. John's actually wearing gold body paint right now. Well, you know. And since I'm colorblind, I'm seeing him in black and white. Well, He's it, very black and white, actually. And this is kind of – there's like a slight connection to well, the, the stuff that we've talked about. let me just say one thing about. because you were talking about expectations about Christmas. You know, everybody – you give something, you got to get something, blah, blah, blah. But again, and I, I'm sure you heard this, but once something is given away, all strings to that gift are broken. The gift is given with no expectations, you right. know. And I don't, I don't think I'm there yet, but I want to be, you know. And that's always been one of my, you know, big – you know, pet peeves in terms of gift giving is when people give something yet they expect you to do something with the gift. And like, if you decide to throw it away or if you decide re-gift. to re-gift or they well, get I offended think it's rude by to that. re-gift actually. Well, or if someone, you it know, depends on the intention. If you're giving it away because you hate it, Probably not good, but if you're giving it away because you love it and you want to give it in the spirit, or because of the you native, think someone else would appreciate would have, it more, or, or be a value would would not necessarily value it, would but benefit from having it. Right. You know, it would make their life better. I, always, I think that's yeah. a wonderful uh, intention. But I always felt that it was just wrong that if someone's giving you something, they're giving it to you. It's no longer theirs. Yeah, no, no, I I agree completely. So I I always felt kind of weird that there was this this translucent thread of ownership that went from person yeah, they to can person. guilt you with you yeah. know down the road they can pull that yeah. string back and but the the um and that's one of those things that i'm trying to teach my kids too you know you give someone something it's not yours anymore and it, you think that's a simple concept but sometimes people feel like my kids they'll, they'll feel like i gave it to them so i can tell them what to do with it and, and that's really a hard lesson do you have an example uh, yeah, my daughter gave my other daughter something, and uh, then she didn't want it anymore, so she gave it to her brother, and then this, she's like, no, you can't give it to him, because I gave it to you. This for really this happened? Yeah. yeah. And so, but the other thing, which it's kind of like it, this this uh, little connection to what this is all about, is if you give stuff away, the more you give away, the more that will come back to you. And this is kind of like, you know, one of my favorite topics that I keep bringing up is this whole control and ownership of media you know the thing that people keep finding is you give more stuff away the more attention comes back to you the more comes back to you you give away free music you get more attention and and good things will happen you try to keep control of stuff and you try to hold on to things tightly you kill it well there's a a strange irony with that too because a lot of these ancient eastern philosophies (laughs) have been preaching this for thousands of years but we in the West, you know, the, the consumers, you know, haven't figured this out yet. And, and for those of us who have, we don't have the power to necessarily change it. The people in power want to, you know, keep this perpetuating this ridiculous system of consumption and buying and not giving, you know. Well, because, you know, receiving feels good. So that's the immediate thing. The hard thing to do is is break that cycle or break break that immediate gratification thing and say, you know what, I will delay my gratification and and do something good or, or expend some effort and wait for the good stuff to happen. But, you know, we've been 
beaten to death with this that you know anything that we want right now right now right now we should have entitled to we're entitled to it it's not just like we should have it it's that you have every right to and if you're denied immediate gratification then someone's doing wrong to you so yeah i definitely think that that we should be giving more away because you know at, at least in my personal experience the more that you're willing to share the more that you're willing to give of yourself the more that's always going to come back to you. It might sound self-serving, but it's 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 really true. And and the thing that we also have to to give up is if it doesn't come back to you immediately or ever, you got to be okay with that because you know you've done the right thing anyways. Yeah, yeah. And you know this actually at the salon led to sort of a, a little coalition forming, and you know this woman had an idea for actually making this an economy and putting together a database, a value database where you've given three hours to them. And so she's but somebody, tightening up; she's putting too much control on it, man. Well, 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 no, it's an interesting idea, though. Like you know, there are communities that have alternate economies. For example, in Ithaca, they have these things called Ithaca dollars, right? Which is this other economy. And I'm sure someone's going to clamp down on that. No, no, they haven't yet. You, they're not printing money. The issue is printing money. The federal government, there can only be one valid form of currency in this country. But, you know, there are ways around that. It's a virtual economy, if you will. And, you know, first of all, in Ithaca, I guess, they declared a minimum wage. No local business within the boundaries of Ithaca can pay less than this. And if you accumulate these Ithaca dollars, you can actually spend them. They're real. They have value, and you can spend them in other stores. If I have 10 Ithaca dollars, I can go to a store and buy 10 Ithaca dollars worth of product. So she had an idea to do something like that where, let's say I gave three hours of time to you helping you paint, helping you whatever, paying drywall. I don't have to just redeem that three hours from you because I have credit in the system. I can get it from someone else if they have something. They can see that I have three hours of value into the system, and they can say, well, you know, I make um, furniture in this footstool took me three hours to make. So if you want this, I'll give you that for the three hours of equity you have into the system. So she's thinking about putting together this thing locally where we have this alternate economy. And I I think it's an interesting idea because I've always loved the idea of barter. I'd much rather work for barter. I mean, you know, barter doesn't pay your car payment, but if you can pay your car payment and you can barter to do other things. Well, your dad did that once for me. I, I think I've told this story before, but I helped you. It wasn't move, for sex either. I, I helped you move out of one of your dorms once. I borrowed my dad's van, and I helped you move out of one of the little two-story townhouses you were in with Derek. I think you, your I gay lover, Derek, <laughs> roommate. I'm sorry. No, it was a strange the, and wonderful the euphemism. Time. <laughs> the correct term for it is roommate, <laughs> domestic Derek. partner. Yeah, and. About that time, I had a routine yearly physical schedule with John's dad, who's, who was like my I said, physician. it wasn't sexual. Who was my physician since I was like, genitals. was like eight. Well, that's part of being a doctor. And I went and got my physical, and everything was fine, and everything was in the right place. And I never got a bill. Your dad is a country, was an old-fashioned country doctor, really, literally. I'm not saying that as a joke. And I apparently had equity in helping you move, and he gave me a, a checkup for free. And I think your dad would have taken eggs, too. If, if that's all yeah, people had to pay, he would take eggs. And I remember in, in our house, when I growing up as a kid, I remember patients coming to the house all the time. Old-fashioned country doctor in every sense of the yep, word. And your I, dad would have probably made a house call if somebody asked him to. Oh, he did regularly. Yeah. He was one of the only people. And, and the thing that I found when I was, was growing up is that it was unusual for doctors to, to do house calls. But my dad Certainly used to do Certainly in this it. country, yeah. Yeah, my dad used to do Not it. Not in France, as we learned in, in the Michael Moore film. It's <laughs> right. a regular thing. <laughs> right. In fact, they have an actual service with fast little cars. Yeah. Um, little Fiats or something. <laughs> right. Soon to be Chrysler slash Fiats. And there are whatever. <laughs> Fiislers or... <laughs> Creots <laughs> or Lamber Eislers. I don't know. Uh, Bugeislers. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> it's so much fun making For a Reisler. Weird... <laughs> <laughs> so what I'm what I'm trying to say is that there were we used to get bread for free regularly, but I also saw from my, who? Well, I mean, where was this? Uh, one from? of the local bakeries. Mm. Uh, we used to get bread. I mean, they used to come to the house and here, here's a. Uh, box full of fresh bread. We used to get it all the time, but I also knew that my dad would just see these certain people who ran the bakery whenever they had a problem. They had an emergency asthma attack or something. And that's the way it should be. And I guess the, the, the... The preface to this story, not the preface, the... uh, Premise. No, what what comes after preface? What's at the end of the story? The, um... Suffix? 
<laughs> what's the what's appendix? The, yeah, no. The, uh, the help me out here. What's addendum. The, the addendum to this is really that the I coda. we're encouraging. No, coda is second ending. Now, the oh. addendum to this story is that you know anytime you and uh, you know we have a listener who kind of lives in a community of um, a wilderness community, if you will, a, a little more rural community, and I'm sure this kind of stuff goes on all the time in her community, Kirsten, uh, I'm talking to and about. And, you know, she kind of lives in the middle of nowhere with a bunch of people who who believe in the same value system that she does. And I'm sure this kind of thing happens all the time. People just help each other. It's like a good old-fashioned Amish barn raising or something like that, you know. And I'm, yeah, I would just encourage— It's frowned upon because you can't collect taxes on it. Well, no. any But, but according to federal tax law, any time there's an exchange like that, it is taxable. Yeah, I know. Anytime there's an exchange, like if I trade babysitting your kids and you babysit mine, that's an exchange that is taxable. They're not collecting on most of it. Well, what you should do is of it, but if they wanted to, they could break your balls about it. What you should do is actually just take some of the eggs and send them to the IRS. I should <laughs> throw them at the IRS just, along with several rolls of toilet paper. No, just put them in the envelope. <laughs> Along with the anthrax? Is that what you're saying? The anthrax? Eggs? What? No. The mutaba virus? No, with that Italian guy, Sal Manella. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know him. You're related to that guy. <laughs> but anyway, actually, and Kirsten, if you're listening to this, and you probably are, call our voicemail and tell us, the, you know, give us an example of like where something like this goes on in your community or leave us an email or something. But if you left us a voicemail, it would be 206-376-1907. But anyway, yeah, I just kind of wanted to ramble on and on about that for a little while. But um, Consider yourself. Ramble. Am I, I well rambled? Yeah, and let's play some rambling music. Oh, you're gonna love this. Check it out.
You know, we go to the uh, the free websites to find uh, pod-safe music, royalty-free music, and a lot of times people put up jazz or rock acapella. or acapella, and it's not even close to the genre, but that was under jazz, and you know what? Sounded like, sounded like jazz to me. It was uh, jazz flute. Pretty damn strong. I love the jazz flute. I'm a big fan of the jazz flute. But um, <laughs> That yeah. was uh, good stuff. That was uh, Suna Gunlaugs. I have no idea how to pronounce that, but the title of the song was Good, good Stuff. Good Stuff, yeah. Suna Gunlaugs. S-U-N-N-A-G-U-N-N-L-A-U-G-S. I don't know what that means, but they can play. And it's that's Latin all... for good stuff. Anyway, I think that's a show, yo, man. We're, uh, we're running along here. What, what do you think? Oh, well, I guess it is. Anyway, this is Rich Wilgus. And I am John Tellerico. And you've been listening to another episode of Bloodthirsty Vegetarians. Check us out on the web, www.bloodyveg.com. Send us uh, P-mail. Feedback at bloodyveg.com. And uh, send us voicemail. We got that voicemail line, Kirsten, 206-376-1907. And uh, the next show we record is going to be a famous, infamous show. I think it's our four-year anniversary. Yeah, it's not like a numeric anniversary, but it's a time-wise anniversary. It's not like the 500th show. Yeah, because we haven't ever done 52 a year, but we've, no. we've done pretty good. Yeah. But it'll be our four-year anniversary, and we'll uh, we'll see you then. Anyway. I don't anyway, know. Anyway, what? You've been listening to the VIB. 